And welcome along to this very special uh, BAFTA Q&A. Um, this is the first one of these that I've done and I'm very excited about it, even though I just quite like to be in the same room as these people. We are virtually. Uh, I'm sure loads of you are watching um, who have maybe binge watched the entire series like I have of the fabulous normal people. Um, and it is an absolute pleasure to welcome to our virtual Q&A room this evening, the director and executive producer of it, Mr. Lenny Bramerson. Hi Lenny, how are you doing? Thank you for being here. Um, lovely to be here. Thanks a lot. Uh, and also the, the two leads from the show. Uh, first, Daisy Edgar-Jones. Thank you so much for being with us, Daisy and yeah. Paul, Paul Mescal. Um, I want to say, first of all, congratulations. How does it feel that it's out there now? <laughs> Very surreal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very nice. surreal. And uh, listen, just before we plow into, I just wanted to say to people that we do have subtitles available for anybody who might be watching. We're also going to open it up to questions for you at home, wherever you may be watching in the world. So we'll do that at the end of, I'll start off selfishly and ask a few questions, but do get involved using the Q&A function. It's the best way to get your questions in for these guys as well. Uh, and don't forget, there's a double bill tonight on BBC One at nine o'clock of episodes one and two. Um, Lenny, can I start with you, please? Because this is a, a book that you kind of connected with or really sort of found, a, found your own voice in way back before it had even been released, didn't you? Yeah, so um, so I work very closely with a company called Element Pictures, which is, and a very close friend, Ed Guiney, it's his company with Andrew Lowe, and there's a sort of gang of us in there that have been working together for a long time. And uh, Normal People, Ed got a hold of Normal People before it was published. I think it was shared with, I think it was shared with a, a sort of a number of possible producers with the idea that it might be turned into something. And Ed sent it to me or gave it to me and I read it. And yes, I, I, I fell in love with it in the way that I suppose so many people did just as a reader first. Um, and I, I, just, I was trying to think about the best way to, de to describe that feeling. But I think for me, it's, it's two types of intimacy. It's the intimacy between the characters themselves and just how extraordinarily that's portrayed. Mm -hmm. And it's the feeling of intimate connection you get as a reader, like this direct connection to the actors, or sorry, to the characters. Um, and for me, that was very fresh and the writing was so apparently direct and simple, but at the same time brings you to these very deep places with the characters. And it felt, I just felt a connection with it and a sense that I could kind of see how it might make its way onto screen, which is the feeling you need to have if you're going to, obviously if you're going to adapt something. Yeah. And then at what point did, did you kind of make that decision that you were going to work on it? And in particular, Sally was going to be part of that as well, you know, and, and uh, you know, approaching her about being part of the screenwriting team as well. well so the way it came about, which, which feels like a sort of dream when I think about it, because it doesn't <laughs> normally happen like this if, you know, uh, but I was, I loved it and we, myself and Ed and the, and the group talked about it and we felt that it was television rather than a feature because it's very episodic and mm. I think there's lots of things we can talk about there. It's really interesting why it works so well as television maybe would be less successful as a feature film. But um, so we went to BBC because we have this relationship, long time relationship with Rose Garner, who's had a film there. And even though television isn't her remit, she's just a brilliant creative force within the BBC and very close to Piers Wenger, who's the head of drama, uh, who we also know, and brought, our, brought this proposition to them. And they said, they greenlit it basically based on uh, our desire to do it and the novel itself. And that allowed wow. us to go to Sally and say, if, um, if you think we're the right people to do it, then we are going to leapfrog all of the, the that really sometimes soul-destroying phase of development that people watching this will be very familiar with. Um, and we can we know we're going to be making it in a year. And that, that I don't know, just it also that gives a huge injection of energy to the process because um, you're you're you are, and they were also supportive in the sense that they said whatever way you want to do it, whatever number of episodes, whatever length of episodes. Um, so I don't know, everything was just a part of the creative process then. There was no sort of process of auditioning ideas or, mm. um, you know, it was just a collaborative, pretty open exchange of ideas as we, as we knew we were moving towards an actual shoot date. And then when it came to, to kind of that decision on, on how many episodes and stuff, but also on how many you would direct, so you've directed half the series uh, and the fantastic Hattie McDonald's done the, done the second half. And what was the what was the reasoning behind that? Why did you want to you know kind of in terms of directing half of it, but obviously being across the whole of it as an exec producer? 
But I did think about for a, I mean, I did think on and off about doing all of it, but it because we were on, we decided we were going to just go for it and do it, and we had a, a time frame in mind which wouldn't have been possible if I'd done all of them. We'd still be in post now if I had shot all of them. Um, and also, I felt like the, 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 the story does, in a very subtle way, fall apart and in, fall into two halves. And the second mm -hmm. half is a slight tonal shift. I mean, it's all part of the same world and the same story, and it flows beautifully, but there is that little shift. And it felt then that there might be a natural way of breaking it into two. And also, having two parts I meant that we could attract a very substantial um, director like Hetty, um, because it was really half and half. It wasn't like, um, you know, it, it wasn't lots of different pieces. And and we were delighted that she wanted to do it because we love her work and she brought an amazing uh, sensibility to it within the shape of the show and within the kind of texture and tone of the show, but still very much her own thing. And I, I still had the pleasure of casting Daisy and Paul and and, setting it up and creating the kind of fundamental kind of tone. But then it was odd and and definitely sort of strange for me to hand it over, but ultimately a very rewarding kind of collaboration. Um, Paul and Daisy, this might, might sound strange, but you know when you read a book and you kind of, you visualize the kind of characters in how they would be in, in real life. And it was so weird watching, you know, I'd seen the sort of stills and stuff, but watching you two on, screen it was exactly who i had envisioned in my head as those characters it's really really weird and i'm sure a lot of people will feel the same having you know for those people who have, have watched it and stuff were you familiar with the with the story and the characters before being involved in the project daisy well yeah so i i mean i'd heard of the um of the story because my one of my best friends had bought it for my flatmate and, and my, she is like a massive fan in fact she's actually doing her dissertation on it now so she's like <laughs> I, was, I was I felt very nervous when she was watching it because I was like <laughs> yeah, so I mean I'd heard of it and then um, and actually I'd, I'd sort of my one of my friends had auditioned for um for Marianne as well in, in my house and I kind of remember overhearing it and thinking well that sounds quite good I, I hope that comes my way but so it wasn't for another month till I I got the the tape through, but yeah, I mean, I actually I, I sort of was introduced to the book really from from the audition process, and um, and yeah, and it was an amazing thing to kind of read it whilst auditioning because I sort of got myself tape and I sent it off, and and I really loved the character just from from the little sides I got. I really thought mm -hmm. she was someone that I you know. I don't know, I found very funny and odd and, and brilliant. So, um, so yeah, reading it then in between that and my chemistry with Paul was quite an intense experience because I was really sort of imagining, I guess, myself trying to play her, you know? Yeah. Paul, what about for you? Yes, similar enough in the sense that I'd obviously heard about the book and it was incredibly popular, but um, I, my agent sent the auditions uh, sides through and I saw that it was going to be based on the novel. I was like, okay, that's the that's the excuse. I need to go go out and read the novel. And um, I was doing a play at the time in Dublin with a lot of uh, with a lot of my friends who are also who had also now been, been cast to normal people. So we were all kind of furiously reading through the book. And the thing that I remember is that we all envisage envisaged ourselves playing Connell, which I think is a testament to the two characters that we all saw ourselves in that. And then. Um, yeah, so I read it before the audition process and then kind of kept going back to it as the audition process lengthened. Yeah. Um, how would you describe each other's character? So, Daisy, how would you describe Connell? And Paul, how would you describe Marianne? That's a great question. I love it. <laughs> I'd say my favourite quote that I really stuck out for me in the book is when Marianne thinks of Connell as a big baby tooth. <laughs> so for me, that would be you know, how I love kind of to think of Connell, he's just this very wholesome, special, golden human being who is incredibly kind of um, vulnerable and and has a kind of really interesting relationship with sort of I guess the way he fits in in society and yeah. So I'd say a big a big baby tooth would be how I. <laughs> I'm delighted with that. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, how would you describe Marianne? It's so fun because I, I watched it last night and I kept saying when I was like part of me from Connell's perspective, I look at Marianne sometimes and I don't see her as a human being. So I think she's incredibly angelic in certain moments and like she has this wonderful ability to forgive. So I think she's in from Connell's perspective, she's a very forgiving uh, person. She's yeah. also 
a character that has a massive capacity to love and care. And I think she's also somebody who, from Connell's perspective, is can be terrifying at times. Yeah, she is. She's, she's such a fascinating character and really, really unpredictable, I think, is one of the things I, I kind of love about, about her as well. Lenny, for you, when you were casting, what, what, what were you looking for? And was it an easy process? And, and kind of what was it about these two? Sorry, that's about four questions in one. No, no. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think you're looking for that feeling that of, of, of conviction, you know, that you believe mm. the person in front of you. Um, that you that that you don't see the you don't see the mechanics of the performance. I mean, that's you're looking for great acting first of all, um, and then I think you're looking for uh, like it's, it's a combination of 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 just there's there being something that chimes in the actor and the character, even if they're very different people. Um, just a feeling that there is a kind of somehow they've managed to connect with the character in, in a in an organic kind of way. And then just a feeling, it really is a very, for me, casting anyway is really a gut thing that you just think they've, like somebody starts and you feel, my God, that's, that's really interesting. Or that's such a kind of, that's the person I can feel the presence of the character. Mm. And there isn't just one way of, there's no character for which there's just one way of playing them. There are lots of interesting sort of nuances to different people's takes. But in the case of this show, when I saw both Daisy and Paul on the occasions when I saw them and they were at very different times, Paul came very early and Daisy came quite late in the process. There was a feeling for me and actually everybody else involved that they were absolutely it, that there was just, you know, that you could breathe a sigh of relief that we'd found the, these, these actors who could really get inside the characters. And, and then we brought them together. And it was funny when we were, there was a, a bunch of us in the room and we were doing this, the so-called sort of chemistry reads and, when Daisy and Paul were together, um, I looked around after they'd run a couple of scenes and um, three or four of the people in the room were in tears. So I thought that's probably, oh, wow. uh, you know, and that's just on a first read um, with, with the two of them. And it was all sort of there at that point. And then, you know, you've got this, I don't know, this alive energy that feels correct for the book and the, and, and the, the adaptation and and at that point you can kind of go great because we can really make it now yeah um daisy your accent's fantastic um Thank you. did you have a muse did you have an, did <laughs> well, you have an irish muse that you heard i mean actually lenny was like you should listen to sally um which i really think was the best kind of uh, <laughs> advice because she's she's from mayo so she's from a very similar place but um but she really does just have this incredibly um intelligent clear honest way of speaking that I think um thought was really good for Marianne and you know I, I had a brilliant accent coach too whose name was Paul different Paul um, but I also listened to our Paul as well um quite a lot because obviously living in Ireland was helpful to kind of get tuned in but my mum's mm. Irish as well so I had I had always had a, an idea of the sounds but yeah I'd say probably Sally was my my muse there's a there's a and it, there's so much truth in 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 this in terms of the relationship that these two, you know, individuals have and the pool that they have over a space of time, you know, that they're, they, it kind of comes and goes almost as, as waves in a way. But in terms of when you are trying to get to that truth visually, Lenny, was that something that you spoke to both, you know, your cinematographer, but also with, with Sally and also Alice Birch as well, in terms of, of the characters and how you were gonna write this as a screenplay to, to try and get that across visually? I mean, it's always the challenge, you know, when, because people will, it's a very, like, it's a, it's a really, it's the challenge that you have when you're doing anything for the screen, whether it's adapted or not, in that, how do you represent the interior of a person, given that you're filming this, you know, you're just looking at people's outsides and you're hearing their voices, but, um, so, so whether it's an adaptation or not, that's always the challenge. And then I think it's just this combination of all these decisions around the adaptation itself. And in that context, I think what I would often do is just encourage taking things away, you know, leaving some space, trusting that so much of, of discovering something by observing it versus being told it is always more powerful on screen 
and just knowing where that where that line is so that you don't leave it so bare that it just is impenetrable on the one hand but you don't over describe or overstate or over you know put things into dialogue too much so keeping it the right sort of bare and simple and then working with and then Alice and Sally and Marco Rowe were just amazing in terms of their capacity to to also respond to things that occurred in rehearsal with Daisy and Paul and go back to script when we discover interesting ways through scenes. And, and then um, I worked brilliant, with a brilliant cinematographer called Susie Lavelle, and then Hetty worked with another great Irish cinematographer called Kate McCullough. And certainly speaking about my work with Susie, it was just, we watched a lot of, we always, you know, as you do watch references, think about it. But in the end, all you can do is sort of open yourself up to what's happening between the actors and try and find the most kind of vivid way of, and, and simple for me way. I, I, for me, it's important that I don't appear to be, I don't want to be in the frame as the filmmaker. I want it to look like we just happen to be in the wrong. Yeah. And he's frozen. We've, we've frozen Lenny, we've frozen him in time. Um, I wanted to ask about rehearsals with you two, if that's all right, because I wanted to talk about how important that side of it is for you because you know, one of the things with, with this is that we're following these two individuals through over, a, over you know, a, a long period of time. They grow as people. Their relationship kind of grows in you know, one way or the other. But that rehearsal time, how important is that for you? And kind of what did that involve? Yeah, so um, I, I can't remember the exact timeline of it, but I remember after me and Daisy had been cast, there was a slight bit of a hiatus. And then I think we did two weeks, wasn't it, Daisy? The guts are two weeks. And uh I, I, we didn't rehearse into, like incredibly rigorously. It was kind of, we would come together for two or three hours and read some of the kind of central scenes in the piece. And then we would we would just have discussions. And I think it was about us. There's two Lenny's there on my screen. It's <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh great, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> one of them frozen. <laughs> or one better than one Lenny, two Lenny's. <laughs> the world needs two you. Lenny's, yeah. definitely. But, uh, Paul, sorry, yeah. yeah, so we would... Uh, Come to, and I think it was just because we, we knew the three of us would be working so closely over the next couple of months. It was just about kind of getting to know each other, getting to know what we thought about the characters and how we worked. And it was it was just a really gentle kind of create. Felt very creative, and uh, it, it, I think that energy is harnessed going into the first week of uh, shooting. What about you, Daisy? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, like those two weeks, I I'd never actually um, rehearsed for anything um, before. So it was new to me and I, I thought it was amazing to be able to kind of, I guess, first of all, get to know Paul and Lenny really well. So that that first day, which is always terrifying, felt a little bit less like the first day of school because you had a few friends already, which was nice. But I think we, we you know, more, we didn't really, I don't remember really over rehearsing any scenes. I think what we did, which I thought was amazing, was we really sat and we talked really openly for a long time about all the kind of themes and all the kind of um, moments that go through the, the characters kind of go through and and that was really wonderful because you know the book is a is amazing it, you have so much you know to go from but it's also some of the characters and the choices they make are quite hard to kind of get your head around so it was really mm -hmm. nice to have Lenny and to have Paul and to be able to kind of discuss those so we always knew exactly what we were trying to say with each scene. And did you guys spend much time just kind of talking about the characters and, you know, where that relationship was at, at, at certain points and, you know, and, and why they were making the decisions they were making? Was that something that you worked on with the two of you or? Between the two guys together. Yeah. It, it, it always felt like that. We, I think the three of us were on very similar wavelengths. And I think that, that's, I, I think that's the reason that, both me and Daisy were cast, but I also think that that's maybe what drew me and Daisy too, Lenny, is that the conversations, like I remember even in the second callback, which was the first time that I met Lenny, I think we spent more time talk, talking about the character, not even in the scenes that we were doing, just because just like one scene in isolation, especially with characters like this, is far less important than your concept on who these people are. So I think we, I just felt like we were all in the same the same wavelength so the conversations mm. felt like collaborative yeah and it was really lovely because when we went to the read-through which was you know very scary because it was the first time we were kind of meeting everyone 
Paul and I had done, you had to sort of said the scenes out loud and talked about them before. So it was kind of lovely whenever it got to a scene with us two, we'd be like, ha, huh, we know what we're doing now. <laughs> we said things out loud together, which was really nice, you know, before starting to know that at least those moments definitely worked. There were, yeah, there were definitely sort of key scenes that we spent a lot of time on and they became sort of touchstones for us, for, I don't know, particularly for way, things that used to, the things that would recur or central kind of patterns in the relationship. And we would tie those down by working on sort of central scenes across the episodes. And that, that it is amazing how much work you have to, you read the novel, it hits you like a sort of a complete thing. But as soon as you start to break something into the process of adaptation, it feels like you have to assemble it all again. And learn it like it from every possible angle and the guys particularly have to be able to jump you know from one stage early in the story to a stage three episodes later maybe across the same day oh wow being able to do that you just need to know it so well at a kind of interior level where you don't have to you know think too hard but you can just step into those different phases well i was just about to ask whether you shot it chronologically but obviously not then no so the the two blocks were effectively they were chronological in the sense that we shot a block for the first six and then Heshi shot a block for the second six. But within, within the blocks, we went location to location because, you know, unless you've the luxury of shooting a scene, upping the entire unit, going somewhere else, and then coming back three weeks later to that location, you, what you end up doing is shooting at each location. So I think we started in Marianne's Sligo house and did every scene for the first six episodes that occurs there. And then we'd move to another another location. It could have been Trinity or it could have been the school. Mm. So you're really, I mean, I think a testament to Daisy and Paul, if you think about how much they change. Yeah. Like that when you see Daisy again in episode four, how different she is when you see Paul, the end of episode six versus, you know, schoolboy. It's pretty amazing how th they can track those um, phases uh, so accurately. Yeah, because there's so many intricacies around those developments as, as characters and people. It's not just, yes, there's physical elements, you know, but there's also kind of emotional elements as well. And that's one thing that I think that you have done so beautifully as well. There are so many really kind of um, hard subjects to cover across these 12 episodes, you know, mental health issues, the the kind of um, the sexual, you know, sexual um, behaviors of people that kind of thing as well but the way that you've covered it you you have to really think about the I guess being really um, uh, responsive to your actors and, and how comfortable and making them feel safe but also in terms of the subject matter and making sure that you approach that in the right way with with kind of yes authority but really in a in a kind of thoughtful way as well um it, it's it's a uh... Like it, it is a very, there's lots of amazing stuff in, in the novel. And I think we knew from the very beginning that there were challenges, you know, that, that it is about a certain kind of feeling of intimacy. That said, mm. thing I said drew me to it originally. And that, that, that intimacy, I think what we tried to do was to just not differentiate really between the scenes which were like, a, in which there was a component of physical intimacy or ones in which it was about, you know, the characters are sitting opposite each other, like either end of a big room. It's all part of the same story. And we just, what we wanted to do was represent the truth of each moment as, as well as we could. And I think when you have that as your, as your guide, it, it, you know that you, if you stick to that, you can't go very far wrong because it, there's a, there's a sort of, you know, it's an honorable thing to try and do, which is just tell the truth to the story truthfully of what these characters are feeling for each other. And it so happens in this relationship that kind of that that kind of connection is felt across every aspect of themselves emotionally, physically, you know, uh, psychologically, and and so. Um, but we were we were aware of of how important um, it was to get that right and to and to maintain that sort of sense of I don't know delicate watchfulness, which is what I think we talked about a lot in terms of the style just that we would try as, as sensitive as we could to watch what was happening and follow it as if we were really desperate to discover the sort of truth that the characters were feeling at that time. Um, I just noticed somebody's asking if we can change the view to 
um speaker view uh yeah the sort of grid view isn't that it yeah but i think that's more the person watching rather than us isn't that right i think it is probably i think it is not watching, i think yeah. you guys have to do it sorry yeah but yeah so does that answer your question Edith? yeah no it totally does and and just going um back to what you were we, we were talking about before with daisy and paul and the idea of you know you, you you play these characters over a certain number of years but the fact that in a day you may well have to play that character over three different time frames and stuff what's you know do, is that a challenge or is that kind of is that a sort of is that an exciting part of 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 the job and of, of playing these characters how did you find that yeah i mean i i definitely found i was very lucky that um sharon and sandra who did my hair and makeup and um uh, Lorna, who did the costume, was so wonderful at, you know, at doing that, all, you know, for me physically, because I mm. think, you know, the clothes that you wear and the way you style yourself, you know, really make you feel different, you know, as, so I think, especially, I remember the first time kind of um, wearing the kind of school uniform and feeling very young, and I think <laughs> that really helped, but also having the kind of, having Lenny and, and Hetty to guide us was really useful, you know, we always felt that you know with Lenny we'd discuss the scene so we'd always kind of um I guess ground ourselves and, and kind of check in before we were about to to kind of lift off I guess you could say um, <laughs> and then um and also having the book I mean it was so amazing having you know your character like sort of in depth the way your character is feeling it with each scene and, and you know what I loved is 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 the fact that you know there is sort of not much dialogue it is very sparse and so you were allowed and also the way kind of Susie films you know and um, being very up close meant that you really were allowed to just think the things and feel the feelings and and then he would kind of capture it and and that's very freeing as an actor because you don't have to um force forcefully project something you can kind of just I guess just imagine it and think it and and how how do you prepare as actors for those intimate scenes you know in terms of Lenny very clearly talks in it you know in advance to you about that and about making sure you both feel safe and comfortable with anything but with each other how do you both kind of prepare for that yourselves as actors? Uh, I suppose it's because it, the process of doing intimate scenes was, it was brand new to me as it was to Daisy so I think it was a matter of like like during that two weeks rehearsal that we had prior to shooting we did a kind of trial day with either that would replicate a day on set so suddenly you're not going to set on the first day that you have to shoot those scenes worrying about what the actual mechanics of that day looks like so anything that you can control and anything that production could control in terms of making us feel comfortable was put in place so then then you suddenly you go to bed the night before and you're you're thinking of the scene rather than the event you know because you, you, you know the structure is in place you feel safe you feel comfortable you feel listened to and then you try, and I think that's the beauty of the sex scenes that are written in this is that they are written as moments of connection between two characters. They're not, in my opinion, remotely pornographic. Mm. They are two characters coming together who who love each other. So it's about playing the scene rather than playing the the event or the sex scene itself. Yeah. Yeah. Daisy. Oh, sorry, Daisy. Go no, ahead. go on, lady. Off you go. I was just going to say the other thing that was like the very first time that they have sex, we talked about a lot, the the desire to track the scene from the two of them sitting down and chatting in that, uh, in Connell's tiny bedroom and, and not kind of break the scene into two parts, the preamble and the lovemaking, but actually watch that, the whole thing as one long encounter, you know, and not think, you know, as if the, the sort of the, the employed filmmakers are not even aware that this is a sort of, we've stepped into some other realm. It's just a continuation of, of what's happening. And so much of what is so interesting about that scene is what's happening on the characters' faces. Mm. And in a way, the nudity is, is, is allowed to be an incidental truth about the encounter rather than the point of, the, of any of the images. Yeah, absolutely. Daisy, what about for you, just in terms of that, you know, preparing and... Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything can really prepare you really for what that, the surrealness of what it is like to kind of, on your first day, you know, and it, it is a different sort of thing. But um, but as Paul said, I mean, we were so, so lucky to, to have had such a wonderful kind of um, experience filming them. And, and they, you know, they ended up being a very positive thing. And, and just like, you know, Lenny and Paul said, it's really refreshing to be able to, um, I guess, 
experience them as any other dialogue scene you know they don't feel mm. any different and and you know I love that um episode two scene because you can see those two people kind of carrying on communicating it just becomes physical and and it just meant that you were able to to act it you know you didn't have to feel self-conscious so um but having Ether and, and having such a lovely crew who really looked after us and made us feel safe um it just meant that the pressure was removed and, and sort of by the end it's funny as human beings you get very very used to something that initially is kind of awfully surreal by the end you kind of you didn't even think you it was just another thing <laughs> so so that was wonderful that that happens because you know when you first look at the schedule they, they slightly pop out and you go oh, God. oh yeah next Thursday <laughs> <laughs> I was what you were saying about that kind of thing I almost almost the you know you've, you almost forget whatever's in the, the there's what I mean there's so many brilliant scenes in, in over the 12 episodes and 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 one for me that I just think your your performance in it is extraordinary, Daisy is is the kind of camera shoot in Stockholm or in Sweden, wherever you are in Sweden, which I just think is just oh, it's it's so powerful, really, 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 really is. I think so. Yeah, congratulations on, I mean, on the whole thing, but that's just mind blowing. I think that performance in that specific scene. Yeah, right. Listen, we've got loads of questions that be coming in. Um, Let's start at the top. We've got Molly Jackson. Um, do you all have a favourite part to shoot or was there a sequence that you found really fun to create? I loved, there was a few bits that, uh, the scenes that I absolutely loved that were really hard to shoot so that they were, you knew they were good, but they kind of were tough. And then there were ones which were great and lovely to shoot. I think I loved shooting a lot of the stuff that, um, I mean, all the stuff between Connell and Marianne, the intimate scenes, there's a scene in episode five where they talk to each other very honestly and Connell apologizes for what he did to Marianne in school. And I, yeah. that was very powerful that day. It felt like we'd really, there was something kind of just immediately strong about that. And I loved doing it. And I also loved doing some of the characters around, like group scenes with Connell's friends and then later with Marianne's friends in college because they're all brilliant uh, actors that are around the guys um uh lots of just great actors like Sebastian de Souza plays Gareth and um uh you know Fiona O'Shea and and Sean Dunn and Aina Hardwick and just brilliant um uh you know just brilliant actors that that I absolutely love and um they were really fun to shoot I love the scenes with, with you Paul and Sarah Green your mum and because they're oh She's so, yeah, she's so brilliant in the show and also just like the best crack to have around on set. <laughs> yeah. And she gives you that hug at Christmas. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not you, Daisy, but it's Miss Marianne. She gives Marianne that hug at the door at Christmas for just a wee bit longer than, you know, and it's just, it, it says so much and just that moment of intimacy. It's beautiful. Um, I love Lorraine. She's the best. That's one of my favourite scenes actually to watch is, um, is the wonderful scene between um, Lorraine and Connell in the car when she kind of, she gets out. I just think it's, you know, you're like, yes, Lorraine. <laughs> it's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you idiot, Connell. Um, <laughs> um, what we got here, um, Sean Hughes says, Lenny, can you speak to uh, the issue of keeping a consistent style and tone across the series with two different directors? And did you have a lot of input as an exec on episodes you didn't direct? I mean, I, I think the, a lot of my input was at was at the script stage, so and that was obviously all the way through, just working closely with the team and and and, and making sure that the like with everybody else that the story was kind of woven, um, I suppose consistently through all the episodes and, um, but actually with somebody as experienced and great as Hetty, I think once I set up what I'd set up, I knew that she wouldn't do anything that would break that, you know. And she was, what we did do was we chatted at the very beginning and then I made all the rushes and assemblies and cuts that we had available to Hattie so that she could see what we were doing. But it wasn't like a question of, of me sort of overseeing um, her and, uh, in any way because she's, you know, we wanted her to feel that she could also bring her, um, her kind of visual storytelling intelligence to her episodes. Mm. Um, but I think it, 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 is, it is a testament to the, the overall structure that everything I feel does flow pretty seamlessly through the, through the 12 episodes. 
Um, Natalie Albin says, Paul, what was it like moving from an almost purely theatre background to a TV show, especially one that uses a lot of close-ups and how different did it feel as an actor? Um, I, I suppose the the whole process does feel very different <laughs> in the sense that like the camera is, is very intimately positioned throughout throughout a show like this and especially the style of the show. But I I I wouldn't say that I modul like I modulated anything in terms of my thought process on, on acting. I think if I was to go on stage tomorrow, I would still approach the part in the same way. And obviously I was like I, I had to learn very quickly and I was in great company to learn with like people are going, you, you, you're going to get great feedback. And that's kind of how, how I learned it. I didn't kind of approach it with any kind of preconception of what it was. Cause I didn't really have a clue other than to listen and try and play the character as I would, regardless of the medium, I think. And I would also say that when Paul, when I saw Paul's first self tape, which was very early in the casting process, it was like exactly what you're watching on screen now was happening. Hmm. Wow. Like there was no sort of, I don't feel, oh, you know, he's a great actor, but we've got to knock the theatrical corners off him or anything like that. It didn't feel like that at all. He Stop being such a thespian. Yeah. I love this question. I wish they'd put a name on it. It says, how many rocket ice lollies did you eat in episode 11? <laughs> You sneakily put it on the floor. I was like, I don't want to eat all of this. Whenever I watch that, because you put it down and it's definitely going to melt, melt all over the place. <laughs> like, who's going to tidy that up? I can't, I'd say we ate about 10. You can see that, that scene actually took two whole days as well to film. So, yeah, it was, um, we ate a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. I love that scene. I think that's as well the other thing when you watch it, there's so many moments of that that you relate to, you know, in terms of that kind of coming of age, falling in love, all that kind of thing. There's so many beautiful moments that you go, God, I just, I did, you know, that, you, you really, it's almost like a mirror sometimes in some of those moments. Um, David Murray says the soundtrack is excellent. Yes, it is. Um, Stephen Rennix as well with his fabulous score. Um, some classics and some great up-and-coming Irish artists like Yankee and Alex Goff. Just wondering, um, did you guys have much influence on the songs featured? Um, well, the people, so we worked with two um, great music supervisors, Juliet Martin and um, Maggie Phillips. And myself and somebody I want to give a huge, um, like, hooray to is Nathan Nugent, who's the editor that I've worked with for many years and is very, very good musically. So between Nathan, myself, Stephen, the two music supervisors, that's where um, Stephen's soundtrack and the, the, the license tracks came from. And um, I was listening, you know, just listening as widely as I could and actually was just struck by how many, it wasn't something that you started off by saying, let's have loads and loads of Irish artists, but actually they just felt right. Like, um, Kim Regan and um, you know Orla Gartland and Lisa Hannigan and people like that they just all felt like they were part of the world and then you know so there are a lot of Irish artists in it and then like Nathan's idea was it was Nathan's idea to use um, an 80s track or a 90s it track the Yazoo track at the end of episode three and you know so we all had um, and I'm a big Elliot Smith fan and that's where um that track came from and then Juliet and Maggie came with stuff as well. So it was, and everybody was throwing ideas in. Did you guys create playlists at all for the characters? Did you, was that something you talked about? Yeah. yeah that was a big old part of the process, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that was what we kind of first were talking about when we were in rehearsals a lot, when we were like at that stage where we're very polite with each other. <laughs> just before we started filming, we had just talked about sort of music really, because um, Paul had found Sally, uh, Rooney had written a playlist for the characters um, so he found it on Spotify so we were kind of <laughs> yeah listening to that load. <laughs> Did you play it on set? Mm. We played it in like the, the makeup trailer beforehand and it, yeah I, I did I kind of did an old like Spotify stalk of Sally Rooney because I've heard of writers like making playlists as they're writing and I um, I found she had a separate one for Marianne and a separate one for Connell and uh that I, I think I'm nearly sure that she wrote during, she made during the writing process so that was kind of a bit of a, a golden find what does, what, it, is it, what does it do how does it help 
I, I find that music gives you a kind of very quick access into a particular emotion or something. And, and I, the, the distinct personalities of uh, both of Sally's uh, playlists definitely give you a flavor of their both of their identities. And I just find it gives you kind of access to different kind of emotions, I think. Yeah. Um, Neil Bradley says, Lenny, when you were prepping the show, did you and Susie um, shoot test sequences to develop the look, your visual approach to the series? Yeah, we did. Um, so we shot, I think we had a, a day and a half kind of testing where we were, you know, we tried different lenses. We had a pretty strong idea of what, what we were going to shoot the, the show on, these beautiful little lenses called K35s, but we tested those and we tested also the process afterwards, like what kind of look we would give the rushes, which is kind of an important choice because even though the very nerdy now, but all the digital media is still there untouched underneath, just choosing a look for it as you shoot is kind of important. Um, and so we went through a process and we tried different, tried out different things. We, we camera tested the lenses on the guys. Um, and we also looked at wardrobe and, and design ideas through uh, the lens and, and, and out into post so that we could just be sure that we were um, we're getting what we wanted to get and based on somebody else asked me about references and I said I answered a question on on text there but yeah just sort of comparing what we thought things would look like with how they were actually looking and it, it always teaches you something but actually into the first few days of shooting you're I think are often those days are also about refining the ideas as you start to see what scenes look like cut together and, mm. and all that kind of stuff. What were your references? Do you mind me asking? And, and yeah, did you so, share those with, with Daisy and, and Paul as well in terms of? Well, what was one brilliant thing was one of the photographers that we used as a reference was a guy called Enda Bow. Uh, he's an Irish photographer, shot a lot in London and a fine art photographer. Um, and so it happens that I met Enda like after he liked a film that I made years ago and we became friends. And actually he agreed to be our on-set photographer. So one of our references was the guy who was sitting by the camera with his stills um, then another reference actually I must look and see where I answer this um, because yeah we looked Nan Golden amazing photographer of herself and sort of quite a lot of nudes and pictures with lovers we felt were really moving and incredibly candid without feeling like they were exploitative or or you know in any other way sensationalistic and she was a reference um a really interesting british film called witness i think it's called witness which is about jehovah's witnesses um mm -hmm. or mother and daughter uh, yeah which is really good and we just love the there were aspects to the way that that approached character that we really liked um but we also watched um bits of uh i don't know school stuff in in things like gus van sant and not necessarily to copy but just to get a sense of what just to get ourselves thinking. Um, so yeah, lots of photo references. It was, it was, that was, that's always a really nice part of the process, working with the cinematographer to, to yeah. feel your way towards a look. Um, this is, there's kind of two questions that, that cover a similar thing. One from Poppy Clark, one from uh, Som. And it's, it's Daisy for you and, and, and Paul about training and practice and, and study as actors and, and where did you train and how did you get, um, you know, your agents and recognized? Yeah, so um, I I was, um, my mum told me to audition for the National Youth Theatre when I was about 14 and um, and that was kind of my first in to, I guess, a place that had lots of like-minded people who wanted to be actors and it was the first time I kind of um, realised that it could be a career choice. So um, I did shows with them every year and then um, through them they have a big open casting for um, films that, you know, for actors who aren't represented. So I went up for an audition for, I think it was a, the Little Mermaid or something but anyway the casting director of that um oh no what's happened my little boy trying to get in shot oh, like, stay uh, there get in the shower uh, sheesh <laughs> sorry <laughs> but um, yeah so um it was through, through that audition the casting director knew my agent was looking for um somebody from the National Youth Theatre to work with so I met with Chris and and yeah it was through him that I kind of got my first job so that, it was really the National Youth Theatre that I, I owe everything to really for for getting me into the industry. Oh what about for you? Yes yeah, so uh, I, 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 I suppose the first protocol would have been that I did a school musical when I was 16 and then 
loved it, but didn't, I, I just didn't see it as a, I didn't have any reference point as other people I saw being actors in like real big grown up life. Um, but the closer I got to applying for colleges, the more I kind of realized that that was the thing that excited me most and, and something that I could see spending time like sticking at and, and really enjoying. So I applied to the Lear Academy in Dublin, which is the drama school attached to Trinity and um, trained there for three years and kind of just that, that, three, that, that three years you kind of cocoon yourself in a place where people just talk about acting and writers and, and directors and it was a really valuable time. And I think because I didn't really have a huge idea about what it was before, I had time to kind of develop a taste and develop preferences in terms of um, what kind of actor I, I, I wanted to be. So that was kind of how I got into it. Am I right in saying that like Leah McNamara, who plays Rachel, she would be Lear as well? And I, I don't think Leah, I think you might not be, yeah. Frank, yeah. Frank plays um, Marianne's brother, Aina. Um, Clinton, Megan, Donald, there's a lot, there's a big um, uh, Lear representation in the show, which is great. <laughs> you, you can totally see as well, that's what's so subtle about, um, you know, finding out about Marianne and, and kind of how she ticks and what, and you look, you know, that family environment that she's come from and the relationships or that she does or doesn't have with her brother and her mum and stuff are so, so important into, to, to her and, her, you know, how, how she decides on certain situations and how she reacts to them as well. And it's, it's amazing to kind of watch those relationships kind of unfold and see how important they are to, to her as well. Um, some couple of more questions coming in. Um, just on the back of that one as well, just on, you know, in terms of training, Emily C, uh, who I imagine must be a young actor, wants to get advice and what would your advice be to young actors trying to break into TV film industry? Lenny, this is a good one for you to answer as well. I mean, it's one of those, it's so, I think everybody's got a different story, you know, people who are acting on screen like Daisy, not having gone to drama school. And then I'm thinking of well, Paul having gone to drama school or like say those lovely scenes you play with Elliot Salt who plays um, Joanna, your sort of best friend. She's, she's trained and that's her road in and your road in was different. Um, I think um, the most important thing is to be doing it to whatever level you can i mean so uh there's no there's no sort of obvious people sometimes say you just have to keep knocking on doors or hassling people or mm. actually, i don't know if that's always the way to go i think trying to do good work and challenge yourself and um you know what whatever that whatever level you're at is the only thing you can do I mean, you guys probably have, yeah, I'd be interested in the actor's view on that as well, because you, you have so many friends who are in and out of the, the screen side of things. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's about, for me, it's figuring out whether you're an actor who would benefit from a three-year training or whether you think that that kind of institution could be detrimental to your, to your creativity. And I think that's something that you kind of have to decide for yourself. And I think ultimately after that, because I, I believe that you don't really have a huge amount of control a lot of the time in this industry. It's about controlling the things that you can do. And if that's preparation for auditions or if that's um, reading scripts or watching films that are being recommended. They're, they're, I think I, I had a football coach when I was growing up who always said, control the controllables and you'll do okay. And I think that's, that's really good advice. And it's not to get caught up with... Um, end gaming or getting to a final destination with it and, and and that's a hard thing to put into practice but I think that would be my advice I think. Daisy what about you? Uh, yeah I really couldn't put it better than that I think that yeah because it is it is um, there really is not much you can control you know and I think it's just knowing that if you love it enough it will work out and and to kind of um yeah, to control the controllables. That I mean, I really can't, can't put it better than that, you know, <laughs> find any way to do something. But I mean, for me, I guess that um, my real access was the National Youth Theatre. So I'd say, you know, if you love it, join a wonderful youth company. Mm. Because not only do you meet, um, not only do you learn, I guess, uh, you know, you train in some capacity, but also to kind of work, work as a team is something that's so important. And particularly, I, I think for, for TV, you know, it's you're just one cog in a whole picture. So I think being able to... Um, yeah, to, to be an ensemble, so to speak, and, and to, make, to meet friends who are like-minded and, and creative is, is really wonderful. So 
yeah for me I guess youth theatres as well it'd be a thing to do yeah and um, this is a great question from Josh who says hi Lenny um what was it like working with Alice Birch she's such an exciting playwright um exploring and playing with the meaning of form in pieces like Anatomy of a Suicide I know Alice is now very familiar to TV but did that translate to the process it was infectious yeah she, Alice is you know we were really really lucky that Alice a was such a fan of the book and B was prepared even though she officially didn't even she didn't have the time I mean, she was she's so she's so in demand and she's doing her own plays and also working on other projects for for the screen so just it was a wonderful thing to to get her on board it was yeah she's such a she's a wonderfully collaborative uh person and um and just an incredibly intuitive writer and she also has this ability she has her very much her own voice as a playwright, but she can also, she's bright enough and sensitive enough to sort of feel her way into somebody else's voice. And she really got Sally's voice, I think, you know, and, and it's it's hard to see, unless you know the book very well, I think it's hard to see where um, things have been added or shifted or reimagined mm -hmm. in the adaptation because it's done so skillfully by Alice that, she, that it becomes kind of, it feels like it's always been there. Um, yeah, I loved working with her and I would love to do it again. Um, and we only got, we got to spend some time together. Um, all of us, you know, she, we would do these sessions where, where she'd come over or we'd go over to, to London and, um, but we did a lot like this, you know, before we had to, before lockdown, we did a lot of, um, sort of Skyping and Zooming and, and, uh, I feel she was just this massive asset to the show. There's a couple of um, isolation questions actually, which are sl slightly random, but interesting. Claudia says, have you found the release of the show different in isolation? You know, it's funny actually. I mean, Paul and I would talk about this earlier about how um, I think actually, weirdly, it's it's a really perfect time for it coming out because the story is so about the essence of, of a human relationship and how important that is. And I think that's something we're all kind of craving right now. So. You know, I guess, yeah, I would say it's, it does feel sort of, I guess, more poignant, really, uh, during this kind of climate. This is the first show I've been in for so far to come out. Like, this is the, this is the normal. Anything else will be abnormal to me. So, um, yeah, I don't really have anything else to go off to measure. But I mean, well, Paul, taking that into mind, you know, in terms of this is the first TV thing that you've worked on and the response that it's had, you know, this was a huge book and, and, I don't know if any of you felt under pressure with regards to, you know, people's, I guess, love of this book and, and knowledge of this book and kind of going into that. But from the reception that it's had, considering it's what it's not even been available for 24 hours, has it? I think that's it's extraordinary to kind of just even from from someone from afar to feel the wave of kind of just joy in the in the series. What, what, how does that feel for you guys? It's an, I feel like it's an immense relief. And just, you know, just because when you... A, you, I think we're all first and foremost fans of the book, so we want that. That applies its own pressure. You want to deliver and try to match the book as best you can. And then when you feel like you, you're proud of the work, and then you're getting closer and closer to transmission days, you're praying to the high heavens that people like it. And when you feel that wave of like generosity and people talking positively about it, it's it's relief and joy and just like it feels like this um adrenaline just leaves your body because it's been building up for like months and months so it's 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 a great feeling i think but yeah yeah Izzy, what about for you yeah it's sort of hard to even um yeah imagine it really because you know it's all kind of happening on our phones you know because it's it is it is a little bit it's a bit strange but yeah i'm just so relieved that you know that because I love it and we had such a wonderful time making it and I'm so proud of it. So I'm just glad that everyone else also really, you know, connects with it too. I'm just, yeah, immensely relieved. Lady, what about for you? Same as, as the other guys. I mean, uh, I think like I've been around obviously for a while and you have the experiences of things that you care really deeply about sort of entering the world without much of a, a response you know and it's a bit like you come flying out of the you know out of the velvet curtains and there's like two people and a dog kind of half clapping <laughs> you know and you've been you've sweated blood over this for years 
So I think it's important to really enjoy the times where it, it actually connects. And of course, like, I don't know, it's so odd because as, as Daisy was saying, it's all on your phone. And hmm. how real is that? And you think maybe this is just a bubble of people who decide to comment. And um, But it does feel genuinely like there is a, a, a sense that there is a, something lovely about this and that and that is good and the work is good. And we, we, we felt that. And I suppose there's the worry when you're making something that um, television is so, there's so much out there, you know, there's just such a vast amount to watch. Yeah. That maybe even though we knew that this was good and, 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 and that we put our hearts into it, there's the worry that it will just sort of drift away out there and nobody much will pay attention to it. And it's relieving and should be celebrated. I think that it, that it has found or seems to have found an audience. And a couple of quick things before we finish off. And this is kind of, I think a really nice question that, that, that uh, Paul Moran sent in because you know, one of many things that you do consistently with, with, with every project that you're involved in, Lenny, is you just get these extraordinary performances from people, you know, be that, you know, Room, Frank, this, it's just, um, and Paul says, did you ever study acting in, a, in any way to, in order to understand the theory and practices behind working with actors? It's a great question. Um, I've read, I, like, I've always been fascinated by actors. I'm fascinated by the, that it's the same way I'm fascinated by people who are incredibly musical and, have this ability to, I don't know, both do something highly technical, but make it fluent. Um, so I've always been fascinated and I've thought about it a lot. And I did in college act a bit and I was like, okay, but I was kind of more interested in it, watching it and thinking about it. And, um, and sort of, that's obviously what the director does. He kind of try and provide some, it's a, it's a process of feeding back and helping and, and kind of revealing for the actor something that they've already got inside them. And, and, and I read a lot about, I always read, you know, old, like all of the classic texts on, on, on acting and on theater. And then the one thing I did, which has had a big effect on me, a very a wonderful man called Lawrence Brown in Ireland, who was a bel canto teacher. Um, and I took, singing lessons with him and, and read a lot about bel canto and there's a lot in the in the idea of what is authentic in performance and singing from that tradition that i took with me into working with actors not something i've ever really actually spoken about very much but but wow. that was something that was quite fundamental to how i thought about um how i might work with actors when i eventually started to do it can i ask it... curiosity what would be in that because I, I i've never been spoken to about that um i it's just about, it's a sort of idea of, of what it is to sort of present, to, to authentically present an action or, and, and, and singing is this very revealing thing where if the singer is in any way sort of false or kind of caught up, it just doesn't come out very well. And I mean, it's, it's probably something for a, a longer and a different context, but when we can have a beer together again, I'm delighted to talk to you about it. It's fascinating stuff. I just quite like to do karaoke with you if that's your kind of rock singer kind of like that no that was my bono impersonation yeah. <laughs> love it um loads of people um uh this is kind of nice in terms of Vardy hardest says where do you think the characters end up uh and an anonymous attendee says paul and daisy how do you think Connell and marianne are doing post episode 12. I, do you want to go this? I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean i i i quite love that you know, I think that's why I love the ending so much is that they're still very much alive, which is really yeah. nice. I don't have to put them to bed because they're Absolutely. still breathing and navigating the world. But I mean, I think that they're, I, I hope that um, Connell is flourishing in New York and, and, you know, really pursuing his dream and, and being very successful. And I hope Marianne is very settled. She probably doesn't have a job because she doesn't believe in the capitalist system. But I hope that she's you know, aces her degree and, and yeah, I, I think she'll probably go and stay with Lorraine for a bit. I'd say she's probably with Lorraine. Amazing, <laughs> I love that idea. Um, listen, there's been a lovely, um, someone just sent in a really lovely message, which I was trying to, I'm trying to read all these live questions as they come in. Um, it was someone just saying, thank you so much for, for creating such an honest and brilliant experience to watch and making such a great adaptation of a book that I absolutely love. So that's, I guess, the highest praises you guys can get, but also just the, the overall response to this has just been extraordinary. And thank you so much for sparing the time to come and chat to us tonight. It's been an absolute treat. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much.
Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Edith, and thanks everybody for tuning in. Take care. Don't forget it's on BBC One, nine o'clock tonight, episodes one and two and everything. All the others are on, every, all of them are on iPlayer to go and binge and watch. Take care, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.